You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom, this is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Juni, who uh, has residency, of course, in Yerushalayim, Yerakadosh. Right now, he's talking to me from Richmond Hill, a section of Queens that I spent a couple of years in. And Sam, it's it's happy. I'm happy to see you here on this side of the Atlantic. Um, let's spend tonight on. There's been a lot of discussion uh, lately uh, about uh, racial inequities. Uh, there has been uh, discussions about racial inequities, not only here uh, in, in this country, but throughout the world. But here specifically, there has been uh, discussions about, and in certain states, and I'm sorry, certain cities, they've already begun the process of reparations for uh, uh, descendants of slaves. And I, and I would say probably in our lifetime, we're probably going to see that in a pretty strong fashion. I think you'd agree, looking at the tea leaves, there is probably going to be some sort of reparation movement that's probably going to gain uh, a lot of uh, thrust and there's going to be people that are going to be pushing for it. Um, along with that, of course, um, you know, especially when we speak about the reparations that we know our people had from Germany, there goes with it something else, which is, and I think I think our country is already doing that, the great mea culpa, um, asking forgiveness, um, realizing the great sin of our forefathers and maybe even ourselves for holding these type of feelings. Uh, so we're hearing about this a lot, owning up to the hurt and going to the other party and telling them, whether it's the African-Americans or others, that we are guilty and that we and somehow are, we stand before you asking forgiveness and hopefully we can turn the page and change. But I'm the tableau that I'm tableau that I'm describing. It's pretty. I think what I'm saying is whether it's actually happening literally or not. I think it's accurate. So I started thinking in general about this idea of begging forgiveness and asking forgiveness for things. I'm not talking about necessarily God's ability to grant us mechil or tshuva. We've talked about this other times. But I started thinking about what what is so difficult about this process. So let me let me ask you first, Sam. On, on one end, on one hand, we have people who let's talk about people who you approach to ask forgiveness from, and they refuse to forgive. Now, of course, the Talmud speaks about this. The Talmud speaks about what you need to do. The Talmud talks about going a number of times and bringing different people. And as the Mishnah Brewer explains in Ilchas Yom HaKippurim, come up with a different spiel each time to try to get the person to forgive you. However, uh, I'm not talking about this from a halachic standpoint. We know what happens. From your, where you're sitting, why is it that people find it so difficult to say these words, okay, I forgive you? So let me just tell you, you say from where I was sitting, I want to tell you where I'm sitting. And uh, I basically have two parts to where I'm sitting. Number one is my personal experience with the whole Vidar Gutmachung uh, phenomenon, which is um, the fact that uh, Germany, starting in the 1950s, actually offered and encouraged 
Jews who were victims of the Holocaust to accept money. And Vidigut means making things good again or reparations. I'm aware, I'm, I'm aware of that. I also know that Ben Gurion struck up a pretty uh, hefty deal of taking money from Germany um, with the um, understanding. I, I, don't, I think it was fairly explicit. I don't think it was so tacit that he's now, Germany is now forgiven by the Jewish people for whatever it is they perpetrate. So that's one thing I'm familiar with. I also know that within Wiedergutmachung itself, there were various levels and that they actually were paying families for people they killed. And what I remember is that the, the a payment, I think it was just under $1,000 a person. And um, I am familiar with quite, a, I know in my particular family, my father was quite hot on getting papers done for Wiedergut Machung and my mother um, resented it to the last breath in her life, how he could do something like that. And she felt forced into giving her name or whatever. Uh, but I do know that at least my relatives considered it a, a, um, a sacrilege or, or a disgrace to accept money for any killed people. So th- that's one perspective I have. The other perspective... Would you say the reason your, your mother, Oshalom, was so against it was because it's not worth $1,000 to to give the Germans this satisfaction as if they right. could somehow... Oh, no, no. Could be expiated. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, let me just say, I, I may have not made it clear. I don't know anybody in my community, and of course, I grew up totally with Holocaust survivors who accepted money for killed people. But I know that the majority of people I grew up with did accept monthly checks from the German government. And for them, that was their main income because many of them were not even entitled to Social Security. That was their main income. And of course, there were all kinds of um, machers and hackers who knew how to maximize the real percentage of disability by going to the right doctors and to the right lawyers and to the right shysters. There was, there was a whole cottage industry in ghetto communities. And I remember it well. But my mother, of course. I, I remember it. And I remember it, listen, from my neighborhood too. In fact, um, uh, my, my father's close friend, Rav Nota Greenblatt, wrote a whole sock din about the reparations that were due to my father and, and, and another person was trying to claim them. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite familiar about the phenomenon. I grew sure. up among the, I grew up like you, I grew up with the Green Echevra and I knew also about the monies that were sent. But that, as you're saying, logically makes sense because you, you damaged me, you hurt me. Oh no, and therefore, it makes logical it's because, sense, it's because you, but, you, but it implied that it had an implicit contract of forgiveness. Right? You have now repaired. You've made it well again. And of course, the attitude was you can never make this well again. Now, of course, in, in my mother's mind and in many others, there was an implication that I'm forgiving you even for the deaths that you caused. Not only I'm forgiving you for the uh, hardship that you caused me personally. So I think when I heard my mother speak of it, I didn't think she said, well, look, the humiliation and the horrible things that happened to me personally. I am not going to forgive anybody for that. I, but basically, her saying, you don't forgive the Germans because of the horrible things they did. So I assume that had she been enslaved by uh, some um, one who was not intent on killing people, just been enslaved for forced labor, somebody who made her work under inhumane conditions, I could see, perhaps, maybe not her, because she has, was a spunky person, but I could see somebody saying, yes, oh, sure, I, I know what you, I was imprisoned, I was in jail for 10 years, 
I want you to pay me no sixteen million dollars because that's that's but that will take away the anguish and I'll forgive you for it allegedly. But I think my mother was basically colored by the notions that you don't forgive animals for anything. Yes, I, I my sense was the the greeners that I grew up with was they took the money and they hated the Germans like hell and they and didn't they forgive them. And, and they didn't for, they did not forgive them at all. They right, said right. take whatever you can from the bastards, whatever yes. you can get from them, just take. But every check carried on it, wieder gut machung, and you sign on that. <laughs> if somebody sends you a check because they damaged your house and you say, oh, you horrible person, I'll take it from anyway. When you sign that check, it says there, I'm accepting this as a form of redress. So you can't escape that. Let me just talk about the other one that I'm familiar with. And that is the notion that you mentioned about the um, problems of enslaving Blacks and um, really degrading Blacks for so long that I was basically um, in a system, I'm talking about the academic system, especially the liberal academic system, where it was that every white person has to take responsibility um, for the horrible things that were done to Blacks by white people. And that when my first reaction was, I don't know what you're talking about. I never grew up oppressing any black. I grew up as an oppressed person. I never did this. The notion was the diagnosis is that I am not willing to own up to my white racism. And in fact, I can tell you that nowadays in liberal universities, I would say probably in about 40% of universities throughout the United States, if you as a faculty members will say that you don't own up to that responsibility, you will go to force re-education courses that the dean will send you to. And if you don't, you can lose your tenure job. You're out. So in other words, so but I, I was there. Luckily, I retired before these kinds of forced Chinese type re-education, um, uh, re-acculturation um, programs came up. But the notion is that we all are guilty. The question is, is are we willing to own up to the guilt or not? Well, well, you know, as in the university, that's the way it's going to happen. We know that it's going to get unleashed. It's already happening in so many different ways. Well, I, I think 40% of universities, I mean, Smith, even, I'm not talking about Ivy League, even the, the junior Ivy Leagues have it now. It's understood. Right, so what I'm saying is I think it's the wave of, of the now and the future. Yep. If, you, if you listen to Biden's speeches when he went down oh, sure. to, to Tulsa, and you hear even what, he, what, what, what they're talking about today, Everything is the guilt that's still there, the promise that's still not fulfilled, the sure. pain that we haven't done. And, 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 I, the cul- and the culpability. Right. And the culpability. Well, each one of us is culpable. I'll, I'll tell you the flip side of it. Um, I was invited to um, um, talk to a group of German journalists in Israel. I was invited by Yad Vashem, the person who ran the program Yad Vashem, to speak to these journalists and I, I was, that was at the time that I was teaching cross-cultural psychology and stigma um, at Tel Aviv, in Tel Aviv. And they were fascinated by me. And they said, you got to come lecture in Berlin. And I said, I'll never step foot in Berlin. They said, why not? And I said, well, I don't know. Would you go visit your mother's rapist? You know, would you visit your father's, you know, your brother's murderer? Um, <laughs> They said, what are you talking about? They had no idea. So I said, look, you are from Germany. 
the German people and the German nation had a program of pillaging and um, doing horrible things and genocide to my people. How do you expect me to go visit that place? It was a revelation to them. They had no idea. Like I was really doing the American culpability back on them, but I was thinking it personally. I wasn't coming from any ideology. I see them all as guilty. It was their nation. It's not like they reorganized, they, they, they called it corrupt and came up with a new nation called the New Germany. No, it's the same title with the same hymns, with the same flags. I say, so how would I go? They realized that they understood me at the end, but if they forced, at first they thought I was from Mars. They, had, they said, what are you talking about? When? When? Who? Wasn't me. I said, no, it wasn't you. It was your nation. And I'm not going to visit you as a person. I'm going to visit your nation. Okay. Lecture and you're in university. I'm not doing it. So that's where my orientations come. Okay, so let's get down to... to right, the- but, but I actually want to take it from the macro into the micro. Yes. And yes, I, yes. I, think, I think the macro sounds artificial and is, is, is fraught with issues and problems. Uh, and, 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 and I don't want to even argue about it. Got it. But the macro and, and, and the makes me think of the micro, makes me think of the action. I got it. Okay, so I just so, basically wanted, since I am an academic, just to tell you what my points of contact are with this issue. Of course, I've been aggrieved by people. I have aggrieved people. I've been in situations where I did forgive. I didn't forgive. So we can talk about that. But that's where I become a person, no longer expert. So I can try to inform my personhood here by the expertise. Okay. That- All right. So, so let's let, imagine. Let's talk about, right. Let's talk let, about. Let, let's imagine, Sam, that you, uh, I'll put you on the spot. Let's Fine. imagine that um, that you uh, are, you, 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 your wife tells you, Sam, you got to go and ask this guy for forgiveness. Yes. The person feels aggrieved. Okay. So let's say it's me. So you come to me and okay. you say, well, so what I've done basically is that you asked me to give a recommendation to you to be a rabbi somewhere. <laughs> I knew some real nasty things about you. So I called up the guy, look, saying, look, I want to tell you something. This guy is gifted A, B, and C, but he's got some real bad holes. He's really a philanderer. Right. He's a crook or whatever it is he has. And because of that, I was, because of that, my life had been very, That's very. Right. right. And, nice. and you know about it. Well, you don't know about it. It doesn't matter. And of course, my wife says, you got to go ask Rabbi Kivilevich for forgiveness. Okay. So let me tell you what would go on in my mind. First of all, um, am I saying I'm doing tshuva? Am I saying that I would not do it again? And knowing me, since I'm an anal kind of guy and I'm very, fixed in my ways, I'd say, no, I would do it again. Nothing changed. I would do it again, and I would feel bad again. So I'm going to go apologize. What am I saying to him? Okay, so I'm wondering, let's say I'm going to go to him and apologize. So if I, I'm, I, if I want to be dishonest, I'll say, oh, this is terrible. I would never do this again. I, I didn't know. But truth is, I did know. I knew it cost your job and whatever it is. So I did something terrible. And so the best I can say is that I feel bad that it hurt you. But that's about it. No more than the dentist who tells the patient, look, I'm sorry, this is going to hurt, but I'm doing it. And if you come with your next tooth, I'm going to do it again. And then I'm going to say, I'm sorry again. So I'm not sure that's what apology means, saying that I'm aware that it hurts you. What I'm really saying is that somehow I'm looking for some kind of forgiveness. I want to redress this. And what is it that I want from you then? You should say to me that you're not upset with me, that you're happy that because of this, you had to go on welfare and you had to give up your kids for adoption or that your house was repossessed. Are you saying you don't mind? I think you do mind. So I don't really understand 
really the function of the conversation from a from a theological point of view, I can see you saying, okay, we all say it at Philozaka, at least those of us who get early before actually uh, Nidre, yes, I am telling God, don't punish him. Oh. Okay, so I can see that it's, if I'm a religious person, I'm afraid God will punish you. I want you to tell God not to punish me. I don't think that's what my wife would be after. I think my wife would be I, I, I would say she was after the following. That he wants the slate clean somehow. That, right. And you're going to deal with Kivalevich anyway. And you know that he's upset at you. So, Shmuel, you don't believe in it. Go over and ask him anyway, because at least this way you'll be able to have a semblance of something normal right. of a connection. Now, I'm if glad I you're would... saying semblance because I don't see any meat to this to this um, uh, uh, state. Right. So basically yes, the reason it, why it you would of, ask... Just perfunctorily or socially, it will kind of uh, um, put a damper on the, on the pain and the upset, although I don't understand it. Because if I have to be honest, I'd say, look, I'm doing things because I don't like sleeping on the couch. <laughs> this is what my wife wants. Or this is what she demands. But I'm not really sure what you even will be saying to me when you say forgive me. Because will you then go ahead and say, okay, he's my best friend. Uh, I don't know. He's a best friend. He's going to screw you again, right? Because he's not repenting on the notion of what he did. So, of course, the best repentance is where you say, oh, boy, I realize, look, in terms of tshuva, what they say is that the repentance is like, this was a terrible thing. And what they, I know the Rambam says this, that God will attest to the fact that if you, if you ever get into the same situation again, you would not do it. I don't know how I can see myself in that kind of situation unless I acted impetuously. In other words, I kind of said something because at the spur of the moment, which I really shouldn't have said. It wasn't really relevant. You weren't applying to a job as a treasurer. So the fact that once you overran your checkbook or you forgot to pay taxes for three years, that's not so relevant to your rabbi job, but I just couldn't hold it in because I'm an impulsive guy. Then I can say, okay, I'm going to watch myself from now on. I don't talk about stuff that's irrelevant to the point. Nobody asked me, about whether you pay taxes or not, whether it's a mistake, they ask me if you're a good rabbi. And of course you're a good rabbi. Okay, so I can see that. But that, again, that's simplifying it. So again, I have a hard time connecting to this, but through it all, would I ask forgiveness? I don't mind asking forgiveness. I don't mind telling someone, look, I did something bad. I feel bad that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I hurt you. I don't want you to have the pain, but will I get to say, and I won't do it again? I won't unless I decide to lie as well. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure if you would feel bad either, Sam. In some ways, huh? in some ways, the only, look, if I would... No, I, it, I would feel bad that I hurt you, but the same way I feel bad. Look, I see patients all the time. One of the reasons why many physicians send patients to me is because I am capable of saying the truth. I hurt people a lot. I tell people, look, you will not recover from this. Or I tell people who come in that the child is not speaking clearly. I said, your child will never be able to get to an IQ of over 40, okay? And I tell the physician, why are you sending these people to me? And say, because I don't have it in me to tell it to them. You're a chaya. I mean, you can tell people. I'm not a chaya. It bothers me, but I can do it because I speak straight. But would I be able to lie to someone and say, I'm really sorry that this happened and I made a mistake and I won't do it again? I don't know that I would, but many people do. Many people can ask for forgiveness because they realize that what they did was not really well thought out and it was based on maybe greed or some kind of need to hurt someone and say, I'm sorry about this and I'm going to correct my ways. I don't want to hurt people um, just for spite. So okay, so since we're talking about 
the person who's asking forgiveness. Now, I actually wanted to move this somewhere else, but let me let, let me step back a second. There are people, however, Sam, who not from a theological perspective or from a, a psychological perspective say it doesn't make sense because I know I'm going to be the same. And it's not from a theological perspective because how can I undo something that I already did? Mm-hmm. Um, they, I would say there are many people who cannot ask for forgiveness because they are now in a vulnerable situation. Mm-hmm. Because whatever this plane of conversation means, whether it really has real effect or not, if in a theological or spiritual way, the game that we're playing mm-hmm. of you coming to me means now what's what's going to be my answer. Right now, you are, let's say in the case that you said, you come and you say, Kivlevich, look, I, Avramel, I, I'm sorry that that I said this, and now I have to decide. This is the man who cost me the job. Should I do it or not? And there are people, I think, who are the who, like you in this situation that don't want to risk that vulnerability. Would you agree yeah. that that's also something? There's no question you are giving up your Trump card. You're giving it to the other person to say, now we are in charge. And from a power situation for people who, let's say, are quite um, scared of not being in control, they are giving up control over part of their destiny, so to speak. This person can decide whether I am absolved or whether I go on forever feeling like a louse. So sure, for people who have the need to be in power over their own, I guess, life, yeah, it means giving up. So yes, if someone, so let's say psychologically, I'm sorry, that's the language I speak best. If you have a problem giving up your economy, giving up your control control over you, that's going to feel like a terrible situation because we don't know. And I would say not so much because you don't know, because even if the person, I know the person would say, sure, the guy's a firm guy and a decent guy, sure, I forgive you. But still, so now I am in a much lower position power-wise. I've just made a... You needed me for that forgiveness. So even if I grant you the forgiveness, yes, there's yes. always going to be the recognition that there was that moment when you were on your right. knees to me. Right. I, I, I remember my dad used to say this word from his Rebbe, Rabbi Dashinsky, that um, um, in the Haggadah they say, if Paro had not released us, we would forever be... And the, the, and the interpretation was beholding, beholding. Yes. Like if God, I'm sorry, if God had not taken us out, but Paro had let us out, we would be beholden to him. So we are glad, not, well, of course, we're glad that we're not, no longer slaves, but chances are we wouldn't have been slaves because the Egyptian empire went under a long time ago. But had he released us, we would forever have, you know, a vidder good machung attitude towards the, the Egyptians. Okay, so, yes. so that power differential is really there. And I think that would be a good segue to go over to your other point about what is it that stops people from wanting to forgive others, right. which is the flip side of it. Yes. You know? So if somebody comes to me and wants me to forgive them, of course I would have my... So same- why don't we use it the same? Let's keep it the way it was. Fine. You've asked me for forgiveness. Let's say I am deciding I can't do it. You What's going to stop me? What's going to stop me? I, you, uh, our friendship meant a lot. I really like you as a human being objectively. Like liked before the incident. Okay. Before the incident. Yeah, in, in, in an objective manner. 
we still have interactions. It's uncomfortable for us to be angry with each other because we see each other, our wives know each other, our wives know each other's wives, whatever it is. So we have like this uh, indicators. So everything should point to me accepting it because because here you are coming to me and and yet I might be, I might decide I can't do it. I okay. can't do so, it. So let's oh. first use the, the, the same template. If it's an issue of power, um, somehow things are resolved when you grant uh, immunity, when you grant a pardon. If you don't, you are forever still holding like something above this person's head. So that gives you a great amount of power. Um, I, I would say from a psychological point of view, the following. Um, people who can't let a grievance go, um, they probably are not so much dealing with this particular grievance, but they're probably dealing with the history of grievances throughout their lives. So basically they are used or they have become accustomed to being the brunt of prejudice, the brunt of, of, of misdeeds from others. And they've just learned, I am not gonna take this lying down, period. So if, if it would be one incident, that's fine, or that might be fine, but really they're coming from history where they become jaded by other people who keep messing that, much like Charlie Brown, you know? It's not the first time that he has the, the football sna snatched away from just gonna kick it. It's the 50th time, it's the 100th time. Now you might say, well, this is not the same rule. Girl is doing it, this is another guy, this is a guy who's never done it to you. But in terms of one's life, you tend to see all perpetrators in one icon. So it's always, aha, he's back. The bum is back, even though the bum is wearing different clothes and the bum is in a different body. So essentially, your issue is not just with me. You've been smacked in the face too many times, and your issue is, I am not going to let go of this anymore. I've had it. And if you want to get really pathological, I've gotten used to this role of like an un- um, uh, um, a, a victim who will not be quieted down. I am a victim who will keep his victimhood <coughs> alive. And here is my next chance to keep it. So it's not so much you have something with me, but you have something with the perpetrator, in quotes, who keeps assuming different roles. I'm psychologizing this too much, but I think that's really what goes on in people's minds because most of the time when we relate to people, we don't relate so much to people as to what it is they represent. And they represent the ogre in my life. Would you also say that, um, that if, the, if the person is a believer, let's say, for example, in our case, I'm, I'm going to suggest, it's theoretical, but it's, I think it's true as well, that you have less of a belief in what I'm sorry means than I do, right? Yes. So, but maybe my view of I'm sorry and my granting forgiveness is so strong, not that I feel I'm having a power over you, but I really believe that by my giving you forgiveness, I am saving you from punishment. And in some ways, I want to see it meted out. I want, I want you to suffer, not just yes. suffering and not just the suffering that I didn't grant you forgiveness. I want. You want God to burn me. Yes. Yes. That's. Great. No, that's that's sincere, and that makes a lot of sense. And many people, for many people, forgiveness means I don't want you to suffer for this. And the answer is no, I do want you to suffer for this because you deserve it. You have it coming. So you're not getting off with, you know, yes, sure, thank you, have a drink. No, you're not getting a drink. 
you're going to burn. Yeah, yeah. And that again, I see that as someone who's probably not been hurt only once. If you get hurt only once, it's easy to let it go. But, you know, after the guy, you know, keeps beating you up for your lunch money day in, day out, you're not going to forgive him, even if it's 10 years later. So it, so now let's take it back to the to the macro. This that you're this that we are hearing from uh, representatives of, let's say, the African American community in general. I don't know who they would be: Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, um, Kamala Harris. I'm not sure who represents them. Barack Obama. This that you are hearing that 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 the 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 majority white culture in America, white culture of America hasn't done enough. Would you say that's also related to the fact that they are relishing their victimhood in a way? The fact that they that they're that, reveling in it. Yes, relishing, <laughs> reveling and, and, and by by saying you've done enough, by saying it looks like we're there already. It looks like they, they need to keep on emphasizing the open wound. They need to emphasize that, yeah, okay, but what about this kid that was shot? What about this policeman who did this? What about the fact that there's still more blacks dying on, 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 in traffic accidents than, than there were, uh, than there should be? There's still mm-hmm. a COVID inequality. The, the, the fact that, that as the, the greater culture, if you want to say the majority culture, the whiter culture uh, is making their request for forgiveness. The fact that the machers in the African-American community and others refuse and say, no, you, you, you still don't get it. Would you say that's a, a similar uh, psychotic or not a psychotic, but a similar mind state as to the person who generally doesn't want to forgive? Okay, so... I have a bit of a different spin on this, and that is that um, one of the main um, grievances of discrimination is stereotyping. In other words, you saw us all as being horrible people, we're all black, horrible black, um, lowlifes, non-intelligent, non-productive, worthy of being oppressed, and it comes perhaps, at least in terms of, oh, because I once met one black person who was terrible, who was basically a no good Nick and was deemed, had to have it coming because of this behavior. So I'm not saying that's all of it, but a major part of the grievances that people have as a group usually comes from negative stereotyping. And what's going on here is that since they now have the Trump card, so I don't mean Trump, since they now have the main card to um, get back at their oppressors, what they're doing is using the same uh, unfortunate um, tool of stereotyping, negative stereotyping. Like words, all whites are like that, to the point that just like I would say, even if you think that you're an educated, well-meaning Black, if I put you in the right situation, you will act like an animal, just like the rest of them. Okay, that's the horrible um, um, discrimination they would get, blacks would get. And now they're putting it onto whites and the flip side saying, you are an oppressor, no matter how nice of a white guy you are, and no matter how um, educated and how you've never done anything in your heart, you're just as bad as the rest of them. And then they paint you with a negative brush. So that, that's, what, that's the main dynamic I see is going on there. But Again, if I take my experience with the German people, and I mean personal family experience, I cannot blame Blacks for not letting go. 
you know, what should I say? I don't mind having you know, that my people and my family and my ancestors were treated worse than animals for several hundred years, or it's really several, you know, it's more than a thousand years going back to Europe. So I can't blame them. So why can't they let go? Because they feel aggrieved and they want the white people to burn in hell. I just feel bad that they want me to burn in hell because I never did nothing to nobody. I don't know what they want from me and they can't take my skin and say that because I have a certain color, I share something in common with the um, people who were slave lords or people who oppressed blacks. Okay, so I, I, I'm answering. Yes, I have to say that uh, you know, to sort of bring this full circle, um, one of, as you know, one of the most uh, studied uh, books for high school kids and beyond, I think, who who try to understand the Holocaust was uh, Simon Wiesenthal's uh, book, The Sunflower. I, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but um, the a summary, uh, please, for those of us who aren't. OK, well, it's basically a sort of a semi-fictional version of what Wiesenthal went through uh, in the concentration camps and there is a, you know, he has a character who's himself, which is Simon, and Simon meets a Nazi soldier called Carl, and Carl is a, uh, he's bandaged from head to toe, he's in a hospital with injuries, because a shell exploded next to him, and it's already, you know, I don't know if it's uh, exactly when it occurred, maybe Germany was clearly already uh, losing the war, and the Americans were coming, so he, Carl asks a nurse to get a Jew so he could confess his crimes. And he gets Simon. And Simon comes to Carl's bedside. And Carl talks about how he was raised a Catholic. He joins Hitler. They became for the SS. And um, they had packed 300. And, he, and, and Carl tells Simon how he has taken 300 Jews and put them in a building, and he put them, and he set fire to the building. And then, when and when there was a family that tried to jump from one of the windows, he shoots them. And Carl is haunted by everything that he's doing. Uh, Carl knows that he's dying, and now he um, he's crying, and he asks Simon to forgive on behalf of the Jews. Um, and, 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 and Wiesenthal says that it, he seemed truly repentant, but he won't, he won't forgive him. Um, and, um, this is one of the most famous, uh, passages about how he will not forgive. Um, and this was part of what Wiesenthal, of course, lived by, you know, and he eventually, as you know, you know, became the famous Nazi hunter and, and the Simon Wiesnall Institute. So I, 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 you know, I, this passage has been discussed and, and, and studied. Why is it that Simon cannot uh, grant? Is it because it's impossible to ask? Is it impossible for Carl to pick some one Jew and, 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 and ask that Jew for, for forgiveness when he has murdered others? Is it because... It's impossible to forgive such a person because a person who has done such horrible things, the fact that you that at the end of your life you're crying and you're and you're wounded, that's not a reason to forgive someone. 
so I think that that you know this quandary that I think many are are, are having, I I I, I, I it, it, it strikes me again as you said when it's when it's when it's happening now, when it's occurring presently. I think that it's very difficult to 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 grant expiation in in, in that manner. And many people have discussed have discussed whether Wiesenthal was right in letting him die, because Wiesenthal lets him die without granting him any solace at all. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, what would you have done? Never. <laughs> I would never forgive. Of course not. Yeah. I mean, besides feeling that I am not um, a spokesperson for anybody, I would never forgive anybody for grievances against me if they're done with that kind of hate. I'm not saying that I would not forgive someone who did something in error, like a mistake, because even if you hurt somebody by accident, there is a sense of agreement, of course. And then you can forgive saying, look, I know it was not your fault, but to let people off the hook for something like that. No, even if it was on the personal level, of course not. Well, of course not to forgive even for the death of one of my brothers or one of my sisters. No, but even for me, I would not do it. If it was done maliciously, I would not forgive even though I have no idea what forgive means. But if I wouldn't know what forgive means, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, but then again, I'm an anal character. So you have to understand, I am someone who um, believes very strongly of what's right and what's wrong, and I'm not going to make a wrong into a right or a right into a wrong. So I would stick with it. Um, I can't say that I'm um, so um, convinced of the rightness of what I'm saying on a personal level, but when it comes to an affront against Jews for me to go ahead and grant someone um, a dispensation on behalf of my nation? Ugh, no way. Ain't getting it. Let them burn. <laughs> yes. Um, Sam, um, I think that uh, you've definitely uh, given us from your heart. And I think, though, uh, as, as, as a practical matter, though, I think whether you agree with it or you think it's Narishkeit, it probably makes sense whether you agree with it, like I said, theologically, philosophically. I think you'll agree that on a common sense level, in order to just allow human interaction to go on, you should probably, you would probably advise people to go through the motions anyway, whether they believe it. If if it's it's a personal affront, yes. I wouldn't advise anybody going through the motions in terms of dealing with a... a, um, a massive discrimination like the like the Jews experienced or the blacks experienced. No, I would not advise them. But on a personal level, yes. But I can tell you also from a uh, psychiatric point of view, you hold on to grudges, it'll cost you. It'll cost you in terms of mental health because it is a sense of disquiet that you continue owning and you don't let go. And that, of course, it has physiological effects, but also in terms of psychological stability, you're constantly seething inside. Ain't good for you. Um, All right. (laughs) Okay. All right. After we stop recording here, I will decide whether to forgive you for 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 costing me that job. You know. Okay. Okay. I might never become this podcaster. I would have been I would have been rolling in the dough if it wasn't for okay. you. Let me just make it clear to anybody who may have misheard. This was fiction. <laughs> this was something that was oh, yeah. contrived. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sounded yeah. too good. It sounds <laughs> sounded too good. Take care. We'll catch you next time. Be well. Thank you. 
Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 